Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. These crowds are insane. When they close down the streets for these street fairs. It's part of the charm and allure of the city, though. The tourists love it. I know, I know. We need the tourists. I get it. But seriously, I feel like cattle just being herded around. The least they could do is, like, stick to one side if they're going to stop and look. Our sidewalks are like our freeways. You wouldn't stop in the middle of the freeway to look for directions, would you? I get it. But, again, most of these people aren't from here. (sighs) Okay. Again, fair, fair. I'm sure they don't know any better, and they mean well. Besides, we're the ones that made the wrong turn and wandered into the locals' hell. It's times like these I just wish I was Peter Parker. I'm sorry, you wish you were who? Peter Parker? Spider-Man? And I could just zip-zap-zip! My way out of the crowds, above the traffic, and to my destination. Yeah, that would make it a lot easier to get around the city. But what about your fear of heights and of spiders? And thus the reason we continue to pass stall after stall of Euro meat and Mexican street And welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today, we are going to be discussing the newsworthy show, Spider-Man. Turn off the dark. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone. And welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Picture this. You're already where you want to be. And hopefully that's here with us as we talk about today's legendary and noteworthy show, Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark. This show, which was shrouded in press, both good and bad, was the first musical to usher in the age of the superhero onto Broadway, taking audiences to thrilling new heights and pushing the limits of what was possible on the Great White Way. But before we scale the heights, we have to go back to the origins. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark is a musical with music and lyrics by Bono and the Edge, and a book by Julie Taymor, Glenn Berger, and Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. Based on the Marvel Comics character Spider-Man, The story incorporates elements of the 2002 film Spider-Man and the Greek myth of Arachne. It tells Spider-Man's origin story, his romance with Mary Jane Watson, and his battles with the Green Goblin. It includes highly technical stunts such as aerial combat scenes and actors swinging from, quote, webs. According to the New York Post, Bono began composing Spider-Man after Andrew Lloyd Webber joked, quote, 
I'd like to thank rock musicals for leaving me alone for 25 years. I've had the theater all to myself, end quote. Bono and Tamor decided to give Andrew a little competition. In August of 2002, Marvel announced that Tony Adams would produce a staged musical based on the Spider-Man comics. Adams approached Bono and the Edge to be involved with the project. In turn, they enlisted Tamor to direct. In October of 2005, Adams suffered a stroke while the creative team was assembled to sign contracts. He died two days later. Although often described as a rock musical, the production treads new ground that some commentators have asserted, quote, have effectively distanced it from its peers and caused some confusion when it comes to describe the show, end quote. The production was described early on as the most technically complex show ever on Broadway with 27 aerial sequences of characters flying and engaging in aerial combat. The production also includes a multitude of moving set pieces that put the audience in the middle of the action, and enough projections on giant screens that Bono said that it was like a three-dimensional graphic novel. The original story treated the origins of Spider-Man similarly to the story in the 2002 film, but wove in an involved story about a villain based on the mythological Arachne. A a geek chorus of four teenagers narrated the story. In the rewritten version, the plot hews closer to the comic book and film and trims and transforms the role of Arachne into a kindred spirit in Spider-Man's dreams. Readings of the musical were held beginning in 2007, but the production was delayed several times. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark had no out-of-town tryouts because of the technical requirements of the production, which were designed for the Foxwoods Theater on Broadway. This would be a good time to introduce our design team for this show. The director was Julie Taymor. The book was by Julie Taymor, Glenn Berger, and Robert Aguirre-Sacasa. Music and lyrics by Bono and the Edge. Creative consultant... Philip William McKinley, choreography and aerial choreographer Daniel Ezrello, additional choreography Chase Brock, scenic design George uh, Tespin, costume design by Iko Ishioka, lighting design by Donald Holder, sound design by Jonathan Deans, projections by Kyle Cooper, hair by Luke Van Sheeran from Campbell Young Associates, Makeup by Judy Chin, aerial designs by Scott Rogers, and prosthetics by Louis Zakarian. In early March of 2011, Playbill and the New York Times reported that the producers had considered whether to work with an expanded creative team or have Tamor leave the production. Soon thereafter, Tamor left the production. Philip William McKinley joined the show as a consultant, and Chase Brock joined as an additional choreographer. The Broadway production was notorious for its many troubles. Six actors were injured performing stunts, and the opening night was repeatedly delayed, causing some critics to review the unfinished production in protest. Following negative reviews, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark suspended performances for a month to retool the show. Longtime Spider-Man comic writer 
Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa, was brought in to revise the story and book. By the time Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark officially opened, it had set the record for longest preview period in Broadway history with 182 performances. The show arrived at the Foxwood Theater for its first preview on November 28, 2010, but would not officially open until June 14, 2011. It would run for a little more than two years two and a half years, closing after 1,066 performances on January 4th, 2014. Critical reception of the opening was better than for the previews, but mixed, with praise for visual effects but little enthusiasm for the book and score. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark is the most expensive Broadway production in history, with a budget of $75 million. In the week ending January 1st, 2012, it held the box office record for Broadway sales in one week, taking in $2.941 million over nine performances until it was beaten by Wicked at the end of the year with $2.947 million. The production closed on January 4th, 2014 at a massive financial loss. The show would receive two Tony Award nominations for Best Costume and scenic design that season. Okay, there was a lot to unpack in that, but we've arrived at the good part now. So let's swing into our story. Midtown High School in Queens, New York, local teenager Peter Parker gives a book report about Arachne, goddess of the weavers. As Peter gives his report, Arachne descends to the stage and tells the audience her story. Thousands of years ago, Arachne was a skilled weaver who became conceited and boasted that she was greater than the goddess Athena, who challenged Arachne to a weaving contest. During the contest, Arachne created blasphemous images of the gods. Furious, Athena destroyed Arachne's work. Devastated, Arachne hanged herself. But Athena took pity on Arachne and transformed her into the world's first spider. Now Arachne is cursed to wander the universe and weave her web for all of eternity. After class ends, Peter's ex-best friend, Flash Thompson, and his gang gleefully torment the straight-A student. Peter has a crush on his popular next-door neighbor, Mary Jane Watson, but they both have unhappy lives. Mary Jane has an abusive father and suffers at home, while Peter suffers at the torment of bullies at school. Peter has lived with Uncle Ben and Aunt May ever since his parents, Richard and Mary Parker, died in a plane crash when he was a baby. A few days later, Peter and his classmates go on a field trip to the genetics laboratory of scientist Norman Os- Osborne and his wife Emily, who explained that they hope to ac- what they hope to accomplish with their genetic research. While Peter takes pictures of the lab for the school newspaper, the Osbournes lock down the lab as a dangerous genetically altered spider has escaped. While the students and scientists panic, the spider lowers itself onto Peter's shoulder and bites him. 
Peter soon, soon becomes aware that as a result of the spider's bite, he has spider-like powers along with a muscular physique, 20-20 vision, and the ability to emit web strings from his wrists. He uses his power at school to defeat Flash and his friends in a fist fight. After seeing Flash give Mary Jane a ride, Peter decides to buy a car to impress her. He enters a wrestling tournament where he defeats champion Bonesaw McGraw for the grand prize of $1,000. Peter returns home only to learn that Uncle Ben has been shot by a carjacker. Ashamed of his recent selfishness and realizing his he is powerless to save his dying uncle, Peter has an emotional encounter with Aunt May, unaware that Arachne is watching over him. Arachne encourages him to use his gift to defend the innocent from evil. Peter vows to avenge Uncle Ben's death by using his powers to save the world and notes that, with great power comes great responsibility. Peter then makes a costume with the colors that Arachne describes to him. Red for every heart of the innocent that bleeds, and blue for the sorrow of endangered citizens. Before swinging through the city on his webs, fighting criminals and saving innocent civilians as Spider-Man. The Daily Bugle begins to publish articles about Spider-Man, while Peter is hired by Editor-in-Chief J. Jonah Jameson as a freelance photojournalist. Meanwhile, Norman Osborn begins thinking that Spider-Man stole his research as the military organization Viper Worldwide presses him to accelerate his project. Norman contemplates the dilemma with Emily while Peter shares his first romantic encounter with Mary Jane. Norman decides to experiment on himself, causing an electrical surge that results in Emily's accidental death. Norman goes insane and mutates into the Green Goblin. With all the characters now in place, Act 2 starts with the Green Goblin coming up with a plan to genetically alter other humans as he did himself. Through his experiments on his former employees, he creates six villains. Carnage, Electro, Craven the Hunter, Lizard, Swarm, and Swiss Miss. That night, Mary Jane tells Peter that her love for him has grown, and he admits that the feeling is mutual. The Goblin and his new alliance of criminals, calling themselves the Sinister Six, go on a rampage through New York. Spider-Man quickly defeats the Sinister Six as the citizens of New York cheer him on, unaware that the Goblin has managed to escape. The Goblin arrives at the headquarters of the Daily Bugle to tell Jameson to print his plans of dominating the world through genetic mutation. The Goblin also tells Jameson that he gave Spider-Man life, making Jameson believe Spider-Man is in league with the Goblin. That night, Arachne comes to Peter in a vision and explains that she is his guardian, along with the reminder that being a hero is his inescapable destiny. Maligned by the media and suffering financial woes, Peter wants to spend more time with Mary Jane after missing the opening night of her play and considers taking time off from fighting crime. Upset over Peter's constant excuses and not wanting to lose her best friend, Mary Jane suggests that they take a break from their relationship. Hurt, Peter decides not to resume his heroic acts and gives his costume to J. Jonah Jameson, 
telling him that Spider-Man has quit. He later takes Mary Jane to a nightclub and impulsively proposes to her. While there, the Green Goblin intercepts the city's TV signals and sends a message to Spider-Man, threatening his loved ones. Peter takes Mary Jane to his apartment and breaks off their relationship for good so that his enemies won't target her. After telling Mary Jane that he will always love her, Peter takes a walk and realizes that he needs to be a hero, not only for Mary Jane, but for the world. Spider-Man then recovers his costume from the Daily Bugle and goes after the Green Goblin. The Green Goblin sits at a piano atop the Chrysler Building and humorously boasts to the audience of his plan to destroy New York City. Spider-Man arrives ready to fight, but the Goblin reveals that he knows Spider-Man's true identity. Peter attempts to revive the good-natured Norman with the Goblin, but to no avail. Peter engages the Goblin in combat, but before he can finish him, the Goblin reveals that he has Mary Jane, who now dangles from the Chrysler building. As they battle, Spider-Man webs the Green Goblin to his piano. The Green Goblin, not realizing this, thrusts the piano over the side of the Chrysler building, taking him down to his death. After Spider-Man saves Mary Jane, she tells him not to leave and reveals that she has guessed who he is. Peter removes his mask and they embrace. The two contemplate their new life together before sirens begin wailing and Spider-Man swings away. The The end. end. discuss things you liked, things that might be better, the weather outside, the (laughs) hair. No, let's discuss the show. I'm going to say this first. Despite all the negativity around the show, and there was a lot of negativity around the show, it was actually quite an entertaining show. Oh, definitely. I actually still listen to the, uh, the soundtrack that they did release. Which wasn't an original Broadway cast. Right. I wish they would have released an original Broadway cast recording. But... What's what's, another $500,000? Right. But but the songs that they did release, um, I do listen to quite frequently. Um, I've I've noticed that this is a trend. Like, a lot of shows will get this negative review, and then you go and see it, and you're like, what are you saying? It was... An incredible spectacle. Oh, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Yeah, I, I I didn't go to this show to be, like, challenged and inspired to go paint or something. Like, I was like, it's Spider-Man. Right. Nobody goes as Spider-Man to be like, oh, yes, high art. I know the meaning of life. Like, I was like, it's Spider-Man. I want to see him fly and fight bad guys and, yeah, right. overcome evil. Well, and... And, you know, doing stage combat when we've had movies like we have is really hard to make it as, you know, as intense as the movie. So I was really excited to see how they did that, um, to still give it that, like, wow factor, that, like, unreal comic book 
you know, factor. Yeah. I thought the story, for the most part, was really solid. Yeah. Um, I really appreciated it. The music for me was a little lacking. Like, look, the, it wasn't altogether horrible, but there were a few moments that I was like... Did we need a song here? Mm, this is a bad place for a ballad. Yes. Of all the places that hit a slow point, no, you know. Um, I thought the other design elements were absolutely breathtaking, especially the set and the costumes. Oh my gosh, it oh was like a God. comic book brought to life, but in a way that I've never seen it before. Yeah. And then, of course, the fighting and flying over the audience was absolutely incredible. You know, we've seen over 250 Broadway shows. What other show has the, the actors fighting and flying over you? Mm -hmm. I can think of two other shows. Three. Three. Three other shows where people fly over you. Wicked's got the monkeys. Mm -hmm. Mary Poppins, she flies out over you. And then, I mean, to an extent, Harry Potter has the... What are they called? The Dementors? Yeah, the Dementors. The Dementors that come out over the audience. That's it. But mm -hmm. I don't even think the Dementors actually are actual people, is the thing. I think they're just... Some of them are. Some of them are. But not, not the ones that come out over to the audience. Okay. Uh, oh, no, 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 they are the ones that fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. So the... I, but not like Spider-Man, where, I mean, he... I remember him... Jumping off of the balcony? And just... Yeet, and I was like... Look. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they had uh, they had the character of Spider Man just running all around the theater, and they kept that like Spider Man is like the precursor to that Deadpool humor, and so like I love that they kept that Spider Man humor with it, where he would just you know randomly appear and he'd be like, yeah, I know this is unrealistic, got it, you know. They, they well, and that's the Julie Taymor effect. Though. Oh, we're gonna get into that. Okay, breaking it down, breaking it down. Here we go. Uh, the set. Brilliant pop-up comic book. Uh, to an extent, a technological wonder. Yeah. The um, way that they used forced perspective to um, do the battle scenes was great. The way the set moved. Like, I'm thinking of that Chrysler building set going up so we can see the Chrysler building, but then, like, folding right in front of us. So that we look like we're looking down. From, yeah. So it wasn't flying in. It wasn't coming from the wings. It was transforming right in front of us. But it had that, like, turning the page effect. Yes. And it was really, really cool. And it was automated, though. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's some complex stuff. And guys, keep this in mind. This is 10 years ago. Technology has come a long way. So 10 years ago, we were like mind blown that this one like plat, you know, thing was opening and then there was also a plat. And what was cool was it opened up to be like a platform, which then of course the Green Goblin would go over, you know. Um, just everything, the, the class scene, the, the lab, the lab was incredible, you know, mm -hmm. it all was so overly impressed. Like, it would we, be stuff that you'd expect from a movie, but it was happening live in front of you, happening in a timely manner. Yeah. Like, this was a show, like, when we talk about a lot of shows, the, the phrase that I find that we keep commonly saying is, it's a very simple set. They just need a few things to set the scene and we got it. This was not a simple set. This was like, how can we be the most elaborate we can? Which for a musical is super impressive because... Um, 
you know, with all the quick pace of it, it's hard to put so much well, in. You have to be able to make it shift in between flawlessly in real time eight shows a week. Yeah. You're not just trying to get that one shot. You have to be able to create a sustainable continued success. Yeah. And and, and it did. It did. It really did. I mean, it definitely took them a lot to get there, and there was probably some oversight and some injuries like we've heard of that led up to it, but they figured it out. And so thanks to what they worked through on that set is why we have some of the technology we have. Absolutely. Uh, I want to go on to the costumes because this is the other thing that I was like, I I was geeking out. I'm an X-Men guy. So, I mean, look, I'm not a big superhero guy, but if I had to pick one, I'm an X-Men guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but even I was, like, geeking out at this. And if you're going to pick something so well-known to do, there are just things you have that, that have to transfer to the stage. And I was glad that Julie Taymor came on board with this because there is, you know, the audience does have to meet you halfway, but with a comic book, you have to give us... A certain amount. Mm-hmm. And I thought when it came, you know, Spider-Man, obviously, that's not a hard costume to do, per se, right? Mm-hmm. Everything else, oh man, the Green Goblin, that was incredible. Mm-hmm. And then the other men- members of the Sinister Six, I mean, okay, the, the, um, the Electro... I think it was. I'm thinking of Swarm, the one with the bees. Oh, see, no, Electro was frightening because it had sparks and everything coming off it. And then I think it was Carnage was the blood one. Mm-hmm. That was the one that creeped me out the most, you know. And so to be able to create these detailed, functional costumes that actually were like, yeah, I'm uncomfortable with the Like, you... They were villains and you actually like... They were brought to life and you were like, I actually do fear this. Mm-hmm. Well, and the one thing that I think of is the bully scene, the bullying by numbers. Like the way that they made those, the comic, like they made the actors look like comic book characters come off the page. Yes. Uh, without being really kind of silly, if that makes sense. It was very believable and hyper-stylized, which I really appreciated. Like, just, I think back to, like, what Flash looked like and his, like, little goonies. Like, they were normal people, but they still had that element of comic book real uh, yes. surrealism. Yes. And it was just, it's a memorable design. You know, you can rag on the show all you want, but... At the same time, you have to give credit where credit is due. And from the design to the execution, I mean, it's one thing to come up with a brilliant design, but to execute it and to make it functional in that, that to me was incredible. Not only did things like the Green Goblin, who to me was a marvel, <laughs> um, have to be functional on stage to sing and dance, had to fly. Mm-hmm. Safely. Yeah, and I'm like, he, he did it. And so that, there it is. Um. Pairing with that were the lights. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my God, the lighting. Okay, so... I just keep going back to this point. The show just got ragged on, and I felt bad for all these designers because I was like, oh my God, your work is awesome. I mean, it still leaves a lasting impression in my brain. 
the to, they had to design the lighting designer had to design for a variety of scenes and situation, and it was like closer to a movie than to a stage show, and it was so effective and smart and great like they were dealing with exploding laboratories and the marching armies and then these incredible fight scenes all around the theater and then these club scenes and school scenes you know what i mean like the whole gamut and it all had to still connect with that comic book feel that is the to me that was like the 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 common thread through it was we were watching a live action comic book between the scenes, we were still turning the pages. So mm-hmm. the look of it still had to look like that comic book page. Exactly. Well, and I just I just had this epiphany. Basically, if you can imagine um, Spider-Man into the multiverse, or whatever that one was, that animated Spider-Man one that came out recently. The one our goddaughter loves? Yes. Okay. The animated thing, yeah. That, but in real life, mm-hmm. is exactly what you got from the musical. Yeah. And in regards to the lighting, like, you had to have that still, like, musical theater lighting with the songs and that, but you also had to create these different worlds that they were in. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did it just brilliantly. I thought the use of shadows and colors at the same time were incredible. Like, I just think back to the club scene, and I remember when the goblin comes on and it's all green and all the bullies and that are coming out because they're going to get them, you know, mm-hmm. and they're going to be the new genetic thing. And I was like, I was, I was just buying into it. I was like, this is cool. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. It was cool. Um, chugging right along into the sound. Okay. I, I want to throw sound in. We don't normally talk about sound, but I want to because it deserves a mention. Um, the mixing and the balancing with how much was going on in the show was really, really great. It was loud, but not overpowering. And that's really important in a rock, a quote, rock show or an action show. Mm-hmm. This could have had the potential to be very just like, oh my gosh, it's just too much. Mm-hmm. It was perfectly balanced. You had a great rock score happening during the fight scenes, but we still got that dialogue that was happening between the Green Goblin and Spider-Man or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and um, their ability to do a good quality sound while the actors had on prosthetics and masks. Now, one thing I do want to say, and I I was thinking about this as we were reading, I remember, wow, they were masks and they were, you know, everything was really clear and everything while they were fighting and flying. And I thought, I don't think Patrick Page and Reeve Carney really flew over the audience or jumped off the third floor balcony. I'm sure there were other people that were doing that and they were probably in the wings delivering their lines though i don't know it's spider-man but i have a hunch that's what was happening you know and that's why maybe the lines were a lot more clear Mm -hmm. per se but still i mean we look if you want an idea of how hard that kind of thing is guys watch watch them like the mass singer or whatever when you have a mask or something covering the face I'm not a sound guy, but I'm speaking broadly of no knowledge. It just reverberates differently. You get a different kind of sound. I mean, we even have experienced that trying to record our podcast. Um, oh, you yeah. Know, the sound is different depending on the space we're recording. Yeah. Or the distance of the mic. Or, you know, and, and so to do that with not covered and covered to keep some form of consistency, it's brilliant. Um... 
Okay. We're going to keep on walking down the line because direction. We got to talk about the direction. We had a couple, we had two different directors technically, though one was called a creative consultant. Mm -hmm. um, you could see a little bit of a disconnect in the two directors' work and vision in the final product. Oh, yeah. Well, especially when it comes to Julie Taymor, um, especially where she was at artistically during this time, it was very much trying to show the sinister nature of government when it comes to people because well, she also had just done across the universe um which was a long time coming production that was a movie um that had those overtones of you know government is bad blah 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 mm -hmm. and that seeped into spider-man turn off the dark in a way that maybe didn't benefit the story necessarily well, and Julie Taymor is a director who firmly believes that you don't have to fill in all the blanks of the audience. Yes. They're coming to the theater, and, and they can they understand it's a theater, and they can fill in some of the blanks themselves. And that's why I feel like there were some incomplete things, and in, you can see her work, but I'm like, oh, I, I know what's going on. I can fill that in, where I think perhaps the consultant was like, oh, that, that may not work because we got to fill the, you know, and I, and, and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm at the theater. I get it. Like, but there's also, limitations. I'm going to suspend my, my belief that X, Y, and Z is happening. It's cool. Right, you don't have to, to spoon feed it. But to his credit, they also were trying to bring in a different kind of crowd into the show. And so they were like, well, maybe we do need to draw a clearer line to help those audience members understand what's uh, happening. I think... The disconnect came where they were just trying to make it too more too much like a movie. Like one of the things that I don't like when they take a musical and they turn it into a movie, sometimes the reason why it doesn't work as well is because you need that disbelief. You need the audience to fill in that blank to make that connection. And when they try to f just do that for you in the movie, it doesn't work, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's where I was like, I don't need you to show me this scene. I don't need you to tell me this information. I don't need I don't need this. Mm -hmm. I already got that. And for me, sometimes that was like with some of the ballads. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't need this. This is this is not pertinent information. This slows it down. This, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Where I was like, don't, don't um, patronize me in a way. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to say we did we see it in previews no. and we didn't. We no, only we saw, saw it after, every... right after it opened. Okay, because yeah. I seem to remember the first time we saw it, Arachne played a larger role throughout the movie or throughout the show and then the second time we saw it there was it had been cut nope okay it was the same okay yeah no it was the same um it yeah so i i, I could see the disconnect between the two directors personally i like julie tamor's a little bit more but i also could see why they were a little frustrated because probably it was a little too over creative might have been trying to make spider-man a little too high art. I mean, sometimes Kiss is the best thing. Mm -hmm. It's Spider-Man. You mm -hmm. know, if you want to create high art, maybe go a different vessel. But still, I thought the over ideas that... Like, overall, the ideas, the design concept, and that gelled. And the story really came through. I mean, a director not only, like, comes up with a vision of the story, but it's their job to also marry all those elements design together. and i thought they did a brilliant job of that i mean 
the overall presentation of, I mean, oh, so good. The thing I've heard the most from, besides like all the who, you know, oh, someone got hurt or it's super expensive or it's delayed or whatever, is the story's a little weak, right? Mm-hmm. And the music was a little, uh, no one's ragging on the design or anything like that because it's like, no, it was good. And all of that vision came through. It was just a little bit weak on the story and the music fell a little short. Two things you can totally fix in a in a in a revival. Right. And also had they not spent so much money on getting the design there to work through the kinks. Yeah. Um the special effects and the spectacle I think is what the audience came for as much as the actual story. Oh yeah, I remember us saying, you know, I really want to see it just to see what all the negativity is about. Well, also, just I wanted to see all these special effects. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of had an idea of the story. So I like that the director focused less about reinventing the wheel, per se, regarding the story. Yeah, the arachne sprinkled in there, but it was like, everyone knows the story. We can't focus too much on reinventing that. Right, it's go Peter too far, Parker, it's Spider-Man. If you Let's go too far it. from it, you're gonna it's going to ruin it. That's one of the ones you've got to stick to. Um, but I thought the vision was new in the theater. Uh, new to the theater, it was a great experience. Yeah, it was a fun experience. Plus, it was the first time we got to go to the Foxwoods Theater, which is now the Lyric, Lyric Theater. Um, last thing I want to mention was is the music. I would classify this as a, a musical theater rock show. You know, I know that there's a lot of like, oh, I don't know that I'd call this a rock show. I'd put this in musical theater rock. Mm-hmm. Um, there were several memorable songs. There mm-hmm. are, there definitely are. And there are some good songs. There are some forgettable songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that happens with some shows. Yeah, it's but, pr- fairly normal. But I still want to focus on the fact that there are some really good songs in this show. And in fact, when I was putting our script together and I'm listening to the soundtrack, I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. listen, all of the songs that Patrick Page gets, like, sings on the on the soundtrack that they released, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Patrick Page was so good. We're going to get mean, to that. Yeah. Um, most of the music served the show very, very well. Very, very well. Mm-hmm. Let me say it again. Very, very well. I really like. Awesome. I'm the two. There are just two songs I'm thinking of that I'm like. Yeah, this just didn't fly for me, and I can't name the songs, but like the one they performed at the Tonys, I was like. Yeah. If the world should end, because yeah. I love that song. It didn't do it for me, even oh, in the show. I it, obsessed it was over too that song. Low. And maybe it was the directing or whatever. Oh, I disagree. Because it comes uh, right... Before all the action. Right. And it's just... Everything builds up and then we have this super slow and low moment. And it just... It's it's too... Ooh, for me, it hit just right. Because it was kind of that moment where we get to hear from Mary Jane where she's like, Listen, like, we only have now. Like, let's live in the moment. And, oh, the song is beautiful. I thought the placement was beautiful. I think I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. It, it, it was... Uh, I, I don't know how to appropriately describe. I think... I, it, 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 it didn't feel in the right moment where there's all this tension and everything. It, it built up. We're about to the climax and all of a sudden it 
we have that. And, like, I understand why the scene is there, but then all of a sudden we were at a nine, we dropped to a two, and then we just jumped back up to a nine, and it's like, but, that doesn't make sense. Oh, see, I disagree. Cause the intensity I, between those two was, weren't there. I needed, I needed that because it really left me feeling like how Peter felt where the bottom had fallen off. Oh, like that, at, I didn't get that. So I loved it. I think the songs for me that didn't quite hit were the um, the ballads where we were just kind of in um, Peter Parker's mind. Um, the only rise songs above? that yeah, rise above. Oh no, I thought, I thought rise the above. rise rise above reprise was beautiful. No, rise above the first one after his uncle died. No, that was great. No, that one was great. There's one that I'm thinking of that I just can't remember, and I don't think it's Rise Above. But This is why there needs to be a full album. Right, because <laughs> there's some songs that were great that never made it to the album. I, I just want to point out something. Listeners, this is how you know a show was not as bad as the critics say. This dialogue we're but having... We're still talking about the music. We're still talking... I can debate this with you. <laughs> anyway, yes. So... The show has had several notable performers, including Reeve Carney, TV Caprio, Patrick Page, Michael Mulheron, and Katrina Link. So now let's talk about the impact the show has had on the theater and its history. I mean, we've already kind of touched on some of those elements. It was huge, and it was seen as a financial disaster. Well, I mean, look, there have been financial disasters in the past. Right. It brought the superhero story and the superhero to the Broadway stage. Right. That for number one. That was the first time. It was the most expensive show in Broadway history. Yes. And I think still to this day. But my musical's coming, don't worry. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be. My left foot. No. Um, it was one of the most daunting and technically demanding shows ever. And I would say to this day, I'm trying... The closest show I can think that's as technical as this... Harry Potter? That's the one. I was mm-hmm. about to say the play that goes wrong, but mm-hmm. I think it's it's got to be Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the biggest spectacles in theater's history. And again, I think this, just the, well, the, the next one up is, is Harry Potter, which ironically, they both play at the same theater. Right. Well, <laughs> and the other thing I want to throw into this um, is this Broadway musical is different than a spectacle like Cirque du Soleil. Yes. Because Cirque du Soleil has been doing a lot of these kind of things for a long time. But when you do a Cirque du Soleil show, it's different than doing a musical. And they're a different type of theater. And the, um, It's more about acrobatics and Well, and, and yeah, this is where the, the technical elements support the story rather than the visual story, if that makes any sense. And so I do think that it's important to keep those on different planes. But then we do get into the moment where Cirque du Soleil tries to make a Broadway show and does uh, Paramore. But that's another conversation. Another show for another time. Yeah, so despite everything, it did have a huge theatrical impact. It still has a huge theatrical impact. It has a lasting theatrical impact. You say Spider-Man and you're going to get two kinds of impacts. The 
Oh, the oh. Um, so that leads us to societal impact. Um, it generated so much press for not just the show, but for the theater, both good and bad. That is that true. people flock to see it, either as fans of Spider Man or to see what. Uh, to see what for themselves, like what all the journalists have been talking about for months. Like you had mentioned, I mean, I am an X-Men fan. I would say you are too. Yeah. We are not like, oh my God, Spider-Man. But we were like, we need to go see. Spider-Man is not an X-Men. Do not get him confused. No, no, no. no. I know that. <laughs> I, we, we, we both but, We need to go see what all this is about. Well, like, it, we, it were, was, we, we talked about it and it was like either one, we're going to have a really awesome time or two, we're going to have a chance to see the biggest train wreck ever in Broadway history. Yeah. So either way, we were gonna, we were in for an experience. Exactly. And it was like, <laughs> let's, let's just get a ticket and, 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 and dive in. This is when we started doing the whole, screw it. I don't care what the show's about. Let's just. I, that name looks good. I like the color red, you know. Oh, you're on 48th Street? Why not? You know? That's when we started buying tickets like that and, and discovered a whole other world of theater. But people were doing it like that. Either they were loving Spider-Man or they wanted to see what all these, this press was about. And I was... Uh, look, any press is, is good press. If they're talking about you, you're relevant. Yeah, and so it created so much buzz for so long. Mm-hmm. And I think that did play to their advantage. And it would have been nice if they played for their advantage longer. longer. But um, and and it brought a whole new audience to the theater. Hey, but you said new audience, not generation. Well, because I, I, it doesn't span just one generation. No, it brought yeah. a different audience member. Yeah, it, it, and I mainly point to you know fans of comic books and particularly Spider Man, who now access the theater and. I would say, I don't know how many of them maybe wanted to come back and see other shows, but all of a sudden they might have been like, oh, I actually do like musicals or things like that. And they might have been more open to the idea of seeing other shows, mm-hmm. which is great because I think a lot of a lot of things that exist within Spider-Man and that universe or whatnot and that mentality also exists in other shows. That hero, good versus evil, that can exist in other shows, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and now we approach the final question. Is the show still relevant? I think a reworked version of the show would be appropriate. I think a spectacle with all the like amazing success that the Spider-Man franchise has been seeing lately, I think a reworked version could be, could be doable. I think yeah. it'd be cool. And the biggest spectacle is always welcome to its audience, always look forward to the next big thing and, and the best thing to come to the stage. But that being said, the original of the show, I... No, I don't think it's got a place on Broadway. I just... I, I got a pass on that one. Well, I just think it was... It, it, it was unsustainable. Yeah, exactly. That, that's it, the thing. It's, it, it's, it, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because there is some good meat in it, but it's like when you go in expecting a chicken pot pie and there's only like two pieces of chicken. Yes. You want more. Yeah. But it's not worth it to order another chicken pot pie. Exactly. And if it wasn't so technically demanding... I think we'd see it more often. Well, I, 
you'd see it maybe in regional theaters or what have you. Right, but I don't want regional theaters trying to make Spider-Man fly across the it's, audience. It is too, too dangerous. It needs to have hearty financial support that most regional houses cannot support. But perhaps high school... No, I'm kidding. Do not fly <laughs> teenagers across the audience. Stick to Peter Pan. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just... I would be interested to see if... You know, you could rework the show, particularly with the book and whatnot, tweak a few things, see what you can come up with. I just think that there's just like one little click and all of a sudden it's all going to flow. And Now here's something that I actually can't believe I'm about to say. Oh, then don't say it. No, no I, I gotta say it. <laughs> I actually think that a Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark live event on TV could be beneficial no. and good. Yeah, but I'll tell you another thing that I'll, I'll just put out there. You need a big theater, right? Mm-hmm. I can think of a great theater that'll reopen soon that show could be in. Are you talking about the palace? I'm talking about the palace. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think it's gonna play at the palace. I, I don't think, think it's ever gonna come back to Broadway. I would like I would, to see. I it. think one day it will. Okay. But I think you gotta get the right design team and the right just like I said, it's gonna take one little click, and boom, the whole thing is gonna lock into place and it's gonna flow. There's a lot of good in there. It really is. They did not miss the mark by that much. They didn't. That's why it ran for as long as it did. That's why we're talking about it the way we are. That's true. You know, and then if it wasn't as good as it was, we'd be like, and this is this and this, and thank you so much. We're going to move on. You know. share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show. You've heard them all. Thank you. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> we had the good fortune of seeing the show three times. I can't believe we saw it three times. Three times. Uh, 2011, 12, and 13. Um, one of the times we brought my mom and, and her friend Amber. Remember? No, I don't remember this. Oh, yeah. It was a, we always saw it Sunday matinee. Huh. Yeah. Fun facts. Everyday life. We've talked about it. A lot. Uh, uh, we've talked about a lot of our experiences with the spectacle of everything. Um, all three times we saw it, we were up in the upper balcony. And I'll never forget. Um, so the Spider-Man that kind of, I'll, I'll say the, the stunt Spider-Man, had like handlers. It was like an amusement park thing where they, you know, had the wireless headset and that. But he came in like through the fire eggs in the back door. Mm-hmm. And what was cool is... They didn't try to, like, hide this guy where he was like, no one sees me and I'm just going to crouch here until it's my cue. Mm -hmm. He would acknowledge people. So, like, when the kids in the balcony are like, oh, my gosh, Spider-Man, and they go for a high five, he high five him and everything. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I mean, look, this upper balcony was, like, five stories up and dude would just jump and I was well, like Well and that's what his handlers quote handlers were there to do was to secure him into the harness. Oh well and safely. protect him up, up there as well, you know. Yes. But oh my gosh, like I remember the first time seeing that because I thought we would just see him like, you know, because we we've seen like you know the monkey 
you swing out and wake it or whatnot. To see this guy just literally leap and then fall and then I was like, oh! Like, My heart dropped every time. It's I was incredible. Like, yeah, it's incredible. Um, that was our first visit to the gorgeous Fox, the fabulous Foxwood Theater. Well, I guess it's not the fabulous Fox, but the gorgeous Foxwood Theater, um, which is now the Lyric. And I think it was the Lyric before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's so beautiful. It's such a huge a lobby. A huge space. Gorgeous. And both times they, I mean, they've, they've definitely amped it up to make it all Harry Potter-like. For, now, but like they, Potter, they redid but, the whole, yeah. And it's beautiful. And then after the show, we got to meet Reeve Carney and Patrick oh Page. Oh my God, I love Patrick Page's voice. I love, Pat, I love I, his voice. I want to take this moment for a second. So I, Reeve Carney did a great job, but I wasn't like at first warmed up to the way he sang a younger me. Um, I, w- I was like, ah, I don't know about that. And then like he did because Hades. He, Right, well, and then he did Hades sound, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I know." He has his own vocal style. Yes, exactly, and it's it's beautiful for what it is. But Patrick Page, this guy—I mean, he's an extremely classically trained. Well, not not just not just his voice, but yeah, he was so good as Doctor Osborne because you're on his side. The entire time. The entire even time. Even when he's evil, because you're like, I get where you're coming from. I know. Like, I you're dealing with your pain in all the wrong ways. Like, But I still want you to do, like, I want to be there for and you. And so for him to be able to portray it that way, like, you know, to, to, to still be evil but get you on the side. Yes. Oh, and he was. He, he was able to deliver everything with that sinister yet humorous way. Mm-hmm. And I... It was incredible. I thought he was wonderful. And then, you know, now he's in Hadestown. And the man just, I feel like he could do anything. He really could. He's going to be up there with Patty Lapone and all of them just reading a phone book for me. So <laughs> <laughs> we are loving, loving the way things are continuing to go. And hope you can join us in uh, a seat at a theater soon. Hopefully, in the future, you'll be able to catch Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Maybe at the theater soon, yeah. Maybe. We don't know. We don't know what the future holds. It's true. We also want to let you know that you can now become a producer and patron of our show simply by visiting patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our different backstage passes. And thank you so much in advance for even considering becoming one of our patrons. We couldn't make this show happen without your support. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Yellow Cop, 
The Zombie Dandies, Spinny Merkaba, Salma, and Billy Murray. <laughs>